Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. Sorry for the delay of the podcast. If you normally download on Thursday morning, we've been extraordinarily busy trying to finish the series so that everybody can enjoy it at the end of this month, haven't we, Byron? Yep, it's uh, we're, we're pretty much done now. In fact, it's doing its final render upstairs now on the computer, and you should be able to see it on YouTube and Vimeo at the end of this month. We've watched it too many times. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing what everyone else thinks of it. We 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 are. Who we got on today, Byron? We have uh, none other than the man, the myth, the legend that is Mr. Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Channel. Uh, I've known Charlie for quite a few years now, and we've been uh, trying to get him on the podcast for a while now. And we both had a gap, and we managed to make it work just the other night. We had him on, and as as I expected, it was hugely entertaining for us. It was, um, yeah. And we it was a very be, funny podcast. Yeah. I really enjoyed doing yeah, it. Be, I'm sure everyone listening will find it entertaining as well. It starts off talking about catapults, so... Uh, I mean, that's a good enough reason to listen to it. Yeah, it is. Now, I was going to say, I'm not going to read them out, but we've had a huge amount of reviews over the last few weeks. Thank you very much for all the people that have been leaving us really good reviews. All five stars so far, and I hope that continues. Yeah, more, more, please. Yeah, please. It really does help us because more and more people are are finding us now, and we're well surpassed over 10,000 people listening to our show which is phenomenal amount of people and i was actually lost the train of thought that i was gonna i was gonna say it makes a big difference with the reviews and in actual no, fact does. if you search um scotland hunting or hunting conservation on iTunes or uk now, hunting or uk hunting we're, we're now, on the first now the top to so, so that shows you that leaving reviews does help because you know, we're now top in the world for hunting conservation yeah i mean if you we're right up there with the massive american podcast like wired to hunt uh, they come up there right beside ours now. So, uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Keep listening, and, and uh, hopefully it'll grow more. And, and me and Byron have actually been on someone else's podcast. We have. We've literally just finished a couple of minutes ago. We've been on The Hardest Kit on the Planet, brought to you by Heine Haynes. Heine Haynes. So, we're, we're talking about They're our next series. Wednesday. Next, yeah, next week at some point. Yeah. So, if you download that it's on iTunes, I think it's only on iTunes, actually. Yeah, so it's an opportunity to find out a little bit more about us. Because we were being interviewed. Uh, uh, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, though, it, it swung around quite a bit to talking about just hunting. Yeah, well, yeah, so you will, there will be some crossover. But you do find out a little bit about our, sort of our backgrounds and stuff, which I don't think we've talked about on, uh, on our podcast before. So go and check them out. Yes. Now, remember, you can download this on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. Well, you, you can watch it on YouTube now. For uh, We're getting more and more YouTube uh, watches. And on Stitcher for the Android listeners. Uh, one or two bits of news from the sponsor of this podcast, um, which is the, the Scottish Association for Country Sports. Uh, really brilliant news from them this week uh, that they've just been elected as a council member to the British Shooting Sports Council. Um, they're inv- involved in a lot of the, the discussion for legislation in, in that goes on around the country and makes a big difference to uh, well, basically what we do in, in the countryside. And another bit of news that uh, you'll, you'll see this if you follow them on Facebook. Uh, at the end of this month, the Bonamy Review closes. And if you don't know what that is, I'm just going to read one paragraph from uh, their Facebook post. Uh, the Bonamy Review evidence submission period closes at the end of March. If you use dogs in the control of foxes, mink, or other wild mammals, excluding rabbits and rodents, then any changes to the Protection of Wild Mammals, Scotland Act 2002, that Lord Bonamy recommends will affect you. Uh, Scottish Government may well seek to restrict the number of dogs 
uh, you're allowed to use and how you can use them. So if you're somebody that that might apply to, don't complain later on in the year when things change and you haven't had your input. So go do it. Add your uh, comments. Have we talked about the links yet? The links podcast. No, we haven't. The links podcast we recorded yesterday. We were going to bring it to you this week, but me and Byron are still actually trying to wrap our heads around the the whole podcast. Yeah, it was, it was quite a, a complicated a, podcast. Yeah, it was quite a serious debate. So we are just giving ourselves an extra two weeks to just uh, <laughs> so that we can conclude it yeah, properly. Can conclude a lot, it properly. Yeah. A lot of facts, figures, numbers. Uh, we want to make sure that we can go and sort of fact check everything because uh, there was a lot of paperwork flying around all over the place while we were doing it. Um, so we're going to we're gonna do that over the next two weeks and then uh, we will bring you the Lynx podcast, all about the re- possible reintroduction of Lynx and the current trial, uh, or the consultation period for the trial, which is going ahead. It's a very long podcast, uh, well over two hours. So what we're going to do is we're going to split it into two parts, but release it on the same day. So you can listen to the first part and then... I'm sure you'll be deeply enthralled so you can immediately listen to the second part on the same day. Well, we hope you enjoy the show. As always, it's brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. Charlie, welcome to the show. Um, You are a man that everybody knows, well, these days through Field Sports Channel. What have you been up to in the last week? Getting ready for the... the In the last week, well... Mm. First of all, thank you very much for having me on the show, Brian, and uh, it is a, a, a great pleasure. And uh, yeah, I don't know about everybody knows, but um, but you know, I'll, I'll try to be flattered. Um, I think the most exciting thing in the last week was the British Catapult Association Championship in South Wales last Saturday, which I went up to with my son. And I tell you that the catapult guys are just the most fantastic lot of people. Uh, and catapult shooting itself, I think, is probably the noblest of of target sports um if you can shoot a catapult i think that is that is a mark of a gem i, I actually i watched that last night on uh, on field sports channel the, the cat- old one the, no the catapulting yeah. it was on and it was incredible um, they, they are amazing aren't they? We, we me and byron when we were kids we started and i think i think they all had cool names like cobra and and Viper and stuff like all the different t- names of uh, catapults. Did you have? Did you have the Black Widow? Yes, yes. yes. Well, my, my cousin had the Black Widow, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. My cousin uh, Anthony, he had the Black Widow, and I think I had the Viper, which was the one with the armrest and the red, yeah. the red, the red bands. And of course, if you had red elastic, that made it, you know, more powerful. Of course, you're going to hit more things. <laughs> but I get a feeling that these guys look down on armrests. You know, I, I think for them, catapults is, is it's a very cool thing. You know, they've all got into a, a, a thing recently called pickle forks which is a tiny little catapult, so tiny that the ball doesn't actually pass between the, you know, the, the, the two forks. It, it has to kind of hop over the top of them. You have a special technique you use to make that happen. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that is a, that's a long way away from the kind of bulky back widows. But, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, that's what people aspired to. And I, I really looked down on, on my dad's old Milbro. But I have to tell you, I've got my dad's old Milbro in my pocket now, and I won't go for a dog walk without it. So, <laughs> so I'm kind of coming round to the new, the new school, British Catapult Association way of thinking. I, I think that maybe needs to be a podcast. I, I, have, somebody on from the I, I have a catapult on my wall that I brought back from Africa about 10 years ago, and it was made out of um, inner tube. Yeah, it was basically wood and inner tube. <laughs> Magic, brilliant. Uh, could, it, could it knock over a, a running wildebeest? Of course, I'm sure I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that one actually has. Yeah, that one had. <laughs> so we were told when we bought it. 
the other thing is they're amazing designs. Um, you know, uh, they, they all they all specialise in making their own catapults. Milbro, I was glad to see, is still going strong and sponsoring one of the new catapult teams. Um, but there's a guy called Asa Wilson who just makes the most beautiful stuff. And, and you know, lo- lots of other people like him. But he, to me, he's the kind of, I think I described him as the Lamborghini designer of the catapult world. You know, these are buffalo horn catapults studded with rhinestones. And it's just great. Now, who who was, I remember watching, you made a film about it a year ago, I guess, the same competition. And there was a guy, gamekeeper somebody, who'd won it years and years. Who was that now? Oh, Gamekeeper John. John Gamekeeper Wick. John, yes. huge. He is huge on YouTube. Absolutely. Catapults, are, catapults, I'm afraid to say, catapults are much more popular on YouTube than uh, hunting and shooting. You know, Jörg Sprava, who's the uh, German guy who, who specializes in weaponizing everything, you know, <laughs> turns everything into weapons, ordinary household equipment. Suddenly, you know, you could, you could use them to knock out a, an approaching tank, thanks to Jörg Sprava. Um, but he's um, he's all about catapults. He's kind of basically a human rubber ball, as far as you know, looks are concerned. Um, and then and then gamekeeper John, I mean, he makes this stuff about you know, cutting a playing card in half and at, at sixty feet. It's just amazing. You, you you look at that and you think, no, he he must have made that up, but he really can do that. Amazing. I never amazing. thought we'd be talking about catapults. No, I didn't think we were going to talk about. <laughs> I, think, I think that's, I, that's, I, I that's never a thought brilliant that. start. Yeah, to the I show. like that. No, well, I, you know, start there, move out. There's, <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot to cover in the world of field sports. I don't know if you find this. It's quite difficult. We're a very disparate community. Yeah, it's you know, I think a lot of people probably actually don't appreciate everything that sort of field sports encompasses. I mean, you've you've been talking about catapults there. Uh, the vast majority of people wouldn't even consider catapults part of that, but it's all part of that family. No, that's a funny thing, actually. Many, many shooters, I think, consider shooting live um, game or pests with catapults to be either um, banned or it should be banned. I mean, I, I know that from you know, conversations I've, I've had with viewers. They were really surprised to see that, that you're actually allowed to go around and, and shoot rabbits with the catapults. I, I've seen that floating around the Internet, actually. Uh, quite a few people ask, you know, is this something that you, you can legally do, go and shoot pest species with catapults? Well, you can. You you have to be careful about the animal cruelty. You know, you can't cause animal cruelty. But yes, you, of course you can. And not only, uh, you know, is it, is it legal, but it's actually on the Royal Horticultural website as their preferred method of getting rid of squirrels. So you see, <laughs> the shooters think it's illegal, but the gardeners love it. What, what a strange contradiction. Uh, I've, you know what? Every day is a learning day, it and I've, I have learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> now, Charlie, Good. just... You know, as I said, people know you today from, you know, being on Field Sports Channel, presenting it and, you know, having started it. But I just want to rewind a bit sort of back to your, your early years for those people who don't know your backstory. Now, I I got to know you through the early years of Sporting Rifle or the, the early months of Sporting Rifle, just actually when you were leaving and going to do Field Sports Channel. But prior to that, how did your, your interest in Field Sports, how was that kindled? Well, I grew up in Somerset which is, of course, you know, God's own county when it comes to field sports. We have got, I think we've got the world record roebuck head, which was this appalling peruke that somebody shot, which could barely see because its horns had grown over its eyes. We've got salmon. We have the highest pheasants, much higher than the, those low birds you get in Yorkshire, <laughs> and North England, Scotland, and Wales. Goodness me. Um, we've got, um, uh, we, we, we have... You know, stags, we have uh, red stags, we have the uh, Exmoor Emperor, of course, not a particularly big stag, but um, and for a long time, you know, the Ensley stag over the boundary in Devon was uh, was was the country's biggest red stag. 
Um, so, uh, so, you know, oh, and let's not forget Snipe and Will Cox, two of my personal favourites. Mm-hmm. Pigeons were not so hot on, not as good as Buckinghamshire, but, you know, we have an awful lot to offer. So I grew up in the best possible place to enjoy these things. And my favourite things are still pretty well my favourite things. Sneaking around after trout, if I possibly can. Oh, I used to yes, whip into a yes. pack of basset hounds. That was very good fun. And, and Snipe and Will Cox shooting. Okay, so it was just, it was there, it was on your doorstep, and you embraced it. I think what was missing was wild boar. I think that, <laughs> that, that, would have been, that would have been something special to grow up with. And how did you, what was your move from there into the sort of publishing and media world where, where I met you? Yeah, well, that, that was um, <laughs> some series of random coincidences, rather, rather like everybody's career, I suppose. But, um, you know, when I left school, I got very, very lucky. I got um, uh, to... Uh, go and work for. Do you remember a photographer called Patrick Litchfield? Uh, it rings a bell, yes. Yeah, so he was uh, he was kind of um, well known in the 60s and 70s, and by the time we got to the 1980s, um, uh, I was ghostwriting books for him about. Um, uh, he wrote one about the Queen and the Queen Mother, and and so I kind of got into the writing game, and it wasn't a great many steps from there to shooting times, mm-hmm. which took me on as a, as a news editor. I'd also I I got a couple of my own books under my belt. I, I drove from London to Cape Town. That was on my I, list yeah, to speak I to you about. I wanted to ask actually. you about that. Byron told me about this, and diverge for a minute and tell us about that trip, if you will. All right. Well, um, this was a time in publishing uh, when they'd kind of covered all the big subjects. You know, I, you have to remember, I am the master of the shallow end in the media. <laughs> I I am I am the one with a big pair of orange water wings when it comes to writing. And I'm very proud to be that. The, the, um, in those days in publishing, you know, people did the book of royals and the book of gardening. And, and then they, they started combining these subjects. So, you know, you've got the royal book of gardening or the cat's book of golf, which was very successful. Um, and uh, this publisher, Simon and Schuster, um, decided to do the rugby book of Africa to coincide with the Rugby World Cup, which was in South Africa that year. And they dispatched me um, as part of a, a gang of four of us, I was the writer, um, there were two kind of subjects, and there was a photographer, and we drove from London to, well, to Nairobi, and then on to Cape Town, to um, record what African rugby was like, and to, uh, and to watch the World Cup. So, lovely trip for me. Um, uh, what I was really interested in doing, though, was um, going shooting and fishing along the way, and I did get an awful lot of that. So, um, th- that was that was really where the, the you know the the, the first of my shooting and fishing articles were, and it was a short step from there to go and work for Shooting Times when I got home. Now, what, what was that book called? Because I was trying to find it today and I, I couldn't locate it. What was, so people know uh, it. It's, it's a fabulous book. It's called In Search of Will Carling. That's right. And uh, it's, uh, was, it was remarkably a bestseller in South Africa, oh. um, which uh, you're going to be rude and say, well, that means three people bought it. But, <laughs> I mean... I was going to say five, but okay. Five, five. Yeah, that was about it. Now, what happened was um, I I had a a good circle of friends, very loyal friends, and they all got together and strong-armed their their relations into buying it for each other for (laughs) Christmas. Um, And we sold out of the hardback really, really quickly. I mean, 5,000 hardback went straight out the door. Simon and Schuster were just delighted, and they rushed out a paperback, 15,000 copies, I don't think quite so many of those sold. Uh, there's probably still a few sitting in the shelf, maybe in Joburg Airport. I think I'm sure I saw I, one. I, when I, was I there. think you'll find that it's still on Amazon somewhere. Is it? Um, and and I think if you if you look um, if you look carefully, there's the Telegraph Review, which I I treasure. 
uh, which was, this is the kind of drivel that has seriously devalued travel writing in the last <laughs> few years. <laughs> I, I've been meaning to look it out and buy it for quite some time when I first knew that you'd done it, mainly well, my love of Africa and family being there, but also the fact that you drove a Land Rover down there when I'm also a massive uh, Land Rover fan. What, oh. what Land Rover did you drive down? Oh, that's great. Yes, it was a 109 station wagon. Oh, it was fantastic. just extraordinary. Top speed about 35 miles an hour, which is way faster than most of the roads in Africa kept with at the time. And, uh, you know, it lurched, shuddered. It had a kind of real significant list to starboard. Um, and however hard we adjusted the, uh, the leaf springs, we could not solve that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a joy. Um, it, it died a terribly tragic death, that Land Rover. Oh, I was going to ask you what happened to it. Well, have you ever tried to load a, a Land Rover into a container? Um, no. <laughs> you, have to, um, you have to let down the tyres and drive at it really fast and it kind of jams itself in. Um, so we did that. That was successful. We got the container with the Land Rover in back through the port of London, which was, I would say, the most corrupt border crossing we actually had to do in that whole trip. And uh, got the Land Rover out the other end, um, passed it overnight. Unfortunately, we had forgotten to put antifreeze in it, because, of course, in Africa, you don't need antifreeze. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, that was the end of that. Oh, no, what a sad, tragic death. I was, yeah, I was you know, a Land Rover, you know, it needs to die facing a buffalo or something, not yes, because you forgot exactly, to put antifreeze exactly. in it. Exactly. I've got, can I tell you another? Yeah. Uh, my, my life is studied with sad Land Rover stories. But um, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is less awful, I suppose, in a way. Um, I, a friend and I um, uh, bought a little, um, uh, what, was the, what was the one that came before the defendant? An 88. Yeah. And we parked it uh, at Inverness Airport uh-huh. um, at uh, Mr. Potty's guest house, which is just at the end of the runway. And it was at the time when EasyJet had you know, recently opened up the Bristol to Inverness route. So we could fly out any time we want, walk across the airfield, pick up our um, Land Rover and drive to the most magnificent shooting and fishing that the Highlands has to offer. And this did us very well for two or three years. But then my friend who at the time was claiming a, a possible record tailback of 60 cars uh, following this very, very slow Land Rover. I drove it to Inverness from Somerset. It took 24 hours, and I passed one car, which was a dust cart in Glasgow. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, he got under the Kessock Bridge, which is the big one yeah. just north of Inverness, and uh, all the electrics packed up. So the car stopped. So he got out, and, and he was waving traffic past it, and he called the AA. Um, and uh, they took about an hour to come. Unfortunately, 55 minutes after he called them, uh, a lady who wasn't looking very carefully just drove straight into the back of it and again wrecked the uh, Land Rover. Oh, no. and that. Luckily, she was all right. She was pregnant, but luckily okay. she was all right. Um, and then, of course, we discovered uh, when the AA turned up five minutes later that um, they don't fix wrecked cars. Uh, you have to pay for that. Uh, Only if the car is whole. So, so it's not covered under the, your AA cover if they arrive that, and it's destroyed. Isn't that mean? If they come seven minutes earlier, if they wouldn't have had to face that problem. But there you go. No, because uh, <laughs> I think the year after that Land Rover died, I picked you up at Inverness Airport and we went fishing. Yes, that's right. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I had, I had to find alternative transport. Yeah, thank, thought, goodness, <laughs> thank goodness for you, Byron. My Land Rover's gone... Who, how am I going to get to our fishing destination? Oh, I know somebody who lives in Scotland. 
We had some good trips. We had we had the Northern Irish trip as well. We did, yeah. We drove from uh, where we were fishing, you know, way up north, all the way down. Took a ferry across to Ireland, spent a bit of time in Ireland, came back. It was like a week long expedition. That it was exactly. Well, that's what this that's what this job should should be about, really. You know, I I do find that the trouble with with um, weekly deadlines. Well, first of all, for Shooting Times, and you know, later for other magazines, and now, and now for Field Sports Channel, is it kind of it it keeps you in. Uh, you know, it, doing things in three or four days mm. when it would just be better for the audience if you could spend a bit more time. You know, if you could go for two weeks somewhere yeah. and get a really good film in the just bag, just let it happen. Yeah, yeah, it, it's got, it's got to happen. It's got to happen eventually. You know, oh, don't 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 possible. worry, Charlie. In about two weeks' time, we're going to show you what that looks like. <laughs> have you got have you got another in the wilderness coming out? Yes, yeah, uh, the very do. the very first uh, first episode of the series of six comes out in two weeks' time. <sighs> Oh, that's um, going to be great. I'm it, really looking forward to that. It's almost finished. It's uh, in its final checking stages through in the next room right now. And then oh, and then we click render and, and hope, <laughs> hope it comes <laughs> out. Hope it comes out the other end. <laughs> yes, I know that feeling. And... Uh, uh, and and what sort of uh, how long is it? How long is it going to be? So these are going to be thirty to forty minutes an episode and six wow. episodes. So it's sort of feature length, you know, sit down, watch TV type stuff. Do you know? I I find this really interesting because um, I talked to quite a lot of the kind of traditional DVD makers. You know, we just had the, the all the European shows and all the people yeah, like yeah. Hunter's Video, and and they're all kind of clinging to this idea that either DVDs or pay TV will somehow keep them going and it just won't you know no. they're all going to have to move on to youtube and do what we do i think i think yeah dvds are i think there is so much content out there now freely available um unless you really really want something like you, you know you like it so much that you're going to pay for it um you know a, why why go buy a dvd really I mean, uh, you, you guys are putting you know great stuff out every week and it, it changes and it's fresh and it's up to date and it's current so, you know, yeah, like Daryl says, unless it's something very specific that you want to watch, why would you go and buy a DVD? And we had this, Daryl and I had this discussion with, you know, how are we going to release it? It's a little bit different to what other people are doing because it's not something that's going to run every week. And, you know, there are some people like there's, um, uh, Christopher Clausen uh, over in Scandinavia, who I know you know. Yes. He has a format where you can pay to watch some of his stuff. But we decided, no, what we're going to do is we're going to work it out in a way that we can provide it freely available to everybody. And we want to encourage people actually to watch it on Vimeo because we think it's a, a, pretty, a prettier yeah. pra- platform to a look at. A slightly nicer platform, but, yeah. But, uh, you know, it'll obviously co- coincide on YouTube at exactly the same time for those people who, who want to watch it there. Uh, do you think you're taking a, a risk, though, on the, and this is something we, which we constantly talk about at Field Sports Channel because we, we very consciously wanted to kind of take the shooting magazine idea, which I kind of felt people had, not fallen out of love with, but didn't love as much as they used to. And we wanted to put it onto some kind of television. Now, we've since discovered that YouTube is not quite the same as television. So does it bother you that, or do you, are you worried about the fact that people aren't really used to watching what we call long-form television, you know, 30 to 40 we, minutes yeah, online? Yeah, we, 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 we talked we, about this. We have talked about it. And the the decision that we came to was that, Looking in the future, you're talking a year, two years down the line, people are replacing their TVs. The technology is moving so fast that you'll find in two, three years' time, everyone has a smart TV. Um, YouTube will be available to nearly every household, basically. Um, Just like another television yeah, channel. Yeah, and I think, 
I think people are a lot more receptive to it now than than even two three years ago. Where where I, I think if you told someone the idea of of you know you're going to sit in your lounge and watch YouTube like normal TV, I don't think they would have believed it. But n- but now it's 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 available on all of the games consoles. Um, it's available inbuilt in your TV now when you get a new TV. You know, it's it's moving on fast. I mean, I mean the th- you know, w- w- when you look at American shows that are out that are, that are not freely available online, but they're on all of their American hunting channels, for example, they're all that sort of that sort of format and that sort of length, and people are sitting down and they're watching all of them. And we didn't really see a reason why that wouldn't be transferable onto onto a freely available um, you know internet platform like the YouTube and Vimeo, other than people didn't hadn't they hadn't put it there really yet because you know they can tie down the advertising you know through the you know outdoor channels and that sort of thing but you know youtube's a much much bigger platform than any of those the, american the, channels that, that's that's not to say that if there was a request for dvds that it couldn't be done because i think there is still a market i think there's still people that want to buy a hard copy if they're paying for a hard copy of something i know myself personally if i am paying for something then I, like a CD, for example, I won't buy it from iTunes. I'd rather buy the physical copy, if yeah, you get me. But I suppose the difference is this is freely available. Yeah. But I mean, what, what is your take on it, Charlie? Because this was actually, my next question was how things have changed so much. You know, social media platforms, the media media in general, whether that be paper copy, moving to digital copy, and then what you guys do. You know, you had the vision to do this, I don't even know how many years ago. You were the very first to do it in this country. And, you know, you're, you're the biggest by miles now, not just in this country, but I look at your stats when they come through globally. It's in, very impressive. Oh, well, I, it's, I mean, listening to you, it's, it's, it's lovely talking to a couple of old vinyl lovers like you. That's really good. <laughs> um, I, I, think it's, I think what's really changed, and, and this, is, this would be actually a question I'd throw back at you, is, is um, up to now we've been used to this kind of 27 minutes plus three ad breaks format. And the hunting story is such a great story. You know, you start out in the morning, you go and do lots of stuff, and at the end, you get to this thing. I mean, we used to sit around the campfire for tens of thousands of years in the Stone Age. We did not talk about decorating our caves. You know, we talked about the mammoth hunt. That was a story we wanted to hear. And then TV has kind of abandoned it, apart from the American hunting channels for the last 60 or so years. And now we're kind of refining it. And the really good thing about the narrative is, you know, it takes as long as it takes to tell the story. So something like YouTube, you want to tell a story about a pheasant day or a deer stalk or whatever it is, you have to you have to film it for as long as it takes to say that. You can't stretch it to 27 minutes. You can't kind of compact it to 27 minutes if it takes longer than 27 minutes. Yeah. So, so for me, what's what's really changed is the kind of naturalness of being able to tell these stories in film. The fact that, you know, we use a lot of screens now. We've got phones as well as televisions and computers all around us. And, and that screens are basically a good way to watch telly. You know, they're television-shaped things. Um, the fact that it's completely unregulated. You know, there are some local rules. We saw Facebook banning gun ads recently. But uh. apart from that, it's, you know, it's pretty good. You can say, you can say more or less what you, what you like. And whatever you think about censorship or you know deregulation on on the internet it's um people seem to be more or less okay at policing themselves um you know with a few exceptions that make the tabloids um so but yeah we take take all that together i think it's a oh i'm going to sound smug a good time to be you guys and us (laughs) (laughs) we'll second that (laughs) good 
But yeah, I mean, do you, it's. I mean, what if you cast your mind back to when you made that breakaway? I mean, at that very point in time, you weren't following anyone. You know, you were you were forging the path. How? What? What was it that made you think? You know what? This is what we need to do because this is the direction it's going. I, it, it was not. We did not have a crystal ball. We didn't. We had no idea, and we made some horrific mistakes. You know, the first thing we did was um, put stuff on our own server. We, we, you know, we, we, we were like, you know, if you wanted to watch our stuff, you could go to our website. It was all free, but we were paying loads and loads of money to serve all those videos. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was Nigel Allen from, uh, oh, yeah, from no, Airgun, Nigel, yeah. Airgun TV. He, he said, have you considered YouTube? And we had a YouTube channel. And we put some stuff on it. And we thought, no, nonsense. YouTube's very poor quality. At the, t- at the time, you know, people were saying, BBC iPlayer, that's the kind of quality we're looking for. Now, YouTube is very good quality, probably not as good quality as Vimeo, but, you know, really good. BBC iPlayer has kind of fallen behind. People yeah, don't talk yeah. about it as the industry standard anymore. And we are very, very happy being not just you know, on YouTube, but actually being part of YouTube and, you know, taking part in creator meetings and actually and talking to them about things like where should hunting be, where should shooting be, on YouTube, you know, should should it be allowed? Should it not be allowed? What should we regulate? What not? We're always standing up saying, look, do what you're doing. Community flags things it doesn't like, mm-hmm. and it likes things it it does like. Um, don't don't wade in and say anything should be banned. And actually, to date, the only ban on anything on YouTube is something they inherited from the advertising company they bought about 15 years ago, which. Um, is you know basically you 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 can't actually advertise guns or ammunition. Oh okay. Yeah. But 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 that you know in a in an advertisement you can say films about it. You can do anything else you like on YouTube, and pretty well the same on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I mean the only thing they've they've recently stopped is the kind of free classified ads for guns. Yeah, we 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 were actually we wrote that down on uh, what, what on a do piece you, of paper. What do you think of that, Charlie? Because this this came out from America. The this gun control um, didn't it? Yes, at, at, at the moment it's it's a very mixed blessing for for corporations to do this. You know, if they if if an airline, for example, bans the carriage of trophies, they get as much of a backlash as as they get a kind of you know positive story. And uh, people don't usually rise up as a positive story, so they they tend to feel it as a backlash, and and therefore they just generally don't like banning things. They don't like excluding any group at all. You know, com- commerce, business, people don't want to exclude other people. Um, for whatever reason. So um, I think they'd probably think it was a mistake now. Um, With the airlines banning the carriage of trophy animals, it's actually mired them in in legal arguments for years to come. So I think they think it's an expensive mistake. Um, but uh, the trouble is, having said something like that, it'll take a, you know, a new employee in that role to say, right, we're going to rescind that that policy quietly. We're going to take it back and we're going to allow gun adverts again. Um, so uh, that 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 could be what happens next. Mm. I do think we all we all feel that somehow, you know, the world is against us in the world of shooting and hunting. I mean, the Cecil affair last year yeah. made it look a lot like the world was against us. But look at the net effect of Cecil. What's changed? Nothing. Nothing has changed. Therefore, another Cecil comes along. Papers, journalists go to papers editors and saying, "What should we do about this?" editors will say, well, nothing's changed, therefore it's not really a story, is it? You know, mm-hmm. So we, we have actually, strangely enough, won the Cecil round. I uh, think, similarly, I think we, we, we will win the Facebook gun round. Mm, I and, think maybe one of the things that has happened with Cecil the line is it's certainly affected 
Uh, it certainly affected the people willing to take up hunts like that in Africa. And the knock-on effect of that has been less money going to those outfits, uh, renting those concessions, and the, the knock-on effect of that, of their anti-poaching patrols. There's certainly been a few stories coming out to that effect recently. And I did note, as you probably did as well, that uh, Namibia has basically um, come back and said, you know, we're fed up with this. Hunting works for us. It's the reason we're, we're one of the most successful countries in the whole of Africa with the preservation of our game, and you will no longer... You can't, ba you they can't ba ban they, the banning they've of hunting. They've banned, they yeah, banned they ban the banning ban. of... Great, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great story and a great message from a country that stood up it stood up for itself and said, you know what? We're tired, We're, yeah. We are the example of how it works, and it does yeah, work well. And you well. shared that lovely piece on Facebook the other day about uh, you know, the guy from uh, Botswana who'd, um, who'd gone back to his concession mm. uh, and had a look at it since the hunting ban had come in. He'd found that all the water holes he'd looked after have gone. Almost all the animals have gone. I and mean, it's, it's that kind of thing. It's so depressing. I think you, know, you, just, you have to be pretty brutal about this. There are 12,000 lions in South Africa. And 9,000 of them are for hunting. If you want there to be 12,000, allow hunting. If you want there to be 3,000, ban hunting. It's quite straightforward. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we talk about this quite a lot, but it, if you want to have a photographic safari, you can have a photographic safari in a pretty small area, relatively speaking, with a very small number of animals because you because can click the Because it's a tiny, tiny market. Yeah. I mean, I, I know one uh, binoculars company that sells binoculars in the proportion. 10%, 20%, and 70% to the military, to hunters, and to wildlife lovers, you know, bird watchers. Yeah. And guess which percentage is which? The well, I'll tell you. The hunting's the biggest? Uh, hunting, no, mil the military, mil military biggest. hunting, and then wildlife. It's, uh, it's hunting is 70% no of way. the binoculars market. That's amazing. Bird watching and, and animal safaris is 20%, and 10% goes to the military. So we are two, three and a half times bigger than the bird watching market around well, the world well you know i was just i'm just going to open my phone here because i just read this literally just before we came on and it was out of america did i write it down here um yes <clears throat> they've just done a new survey in in the u.s there's 19.3 million hunters yep. and uh there's 12.1 um supporters of base 12.1 million supporters of baseball now there, there's a stat. There's a country that I thought that baseball was the number one thing they were interested in, 19, 19 million hunters. It's well, it very interesting that the Office of National Statistics in the UK, um, for some reason they stopped counting these numbers in 2003. Ooh, middle of the Labour government. wonder why that was. But uh, <laughs> they discovered um, that you, basically the, the question on the survey was, which of these sports have you taken part in in the last six months? And we scored over 2% with shooting, um, we beat rugby um, by a factor of two. We beat hockey by a factor of three. And we weren't terribly far behind football. Only 10% only of the country had played football in the previous six months. So we're only about a fifth the size of the number of people who participate in football. I think that's, that's, that's pretty good. It, is that the, was that the Office of National Statistics that were collecting that? That's right. And, and, and also, unfortunately, they've taken down those results from their website happily i i saved them all before they mm. went i think we should uh, petition to get that data collected again i think i think though, though it must be somewhere it, it will be somewhere well not if no one's collecting it i mean it, no it I, I know as in the, the old oh, the statistics old, well, we, we know, know where it is because charlie's got it's on my computer <laughs> okay <laughs> 
Charlie, just um, to go back uh, a minute, you were talking about your involvement with YouTube. Just explain how your relationship works, because I think it's quite fascinating that you know you as Field Sports Channel, uh, with you know what you represent for Field Sports in this country, has is able to have a say within YouTube. And how does that work? And why are you able to to have a say with with you know the well, big guns? We we are, as far as YouTube is concerned, we are a very very. I mean, we might be the biggest hunting channel. But we are a very very tiny channel. We are. I think we're twenty thousandth biggest channel in the world, or something like that. And there are something something like two or three million channels around the world that are kind of monetized and earning money off stuff. Um, so um, we have got uh, around the world there are various um, YouTube centres, and one of them is in London. And I make no bones about it. I spend a lot of time in London, and I spend a lot of time banging on the door of YouTube, saying, hi, it's me again. <laughs> so um, we have got um, a good relationship with our, with our manager, YouTube. Um, I wouldn't say we have shaped policy enormously, but um, we have a say, and that's the most important thing. And we've taken part in things like, you know, the, the, the kind of forward-looking stuff, like what they call creator camps. And uh, if, you, if you're into YouTube, there's a thing called the Creator Playbook, which is a, a, a kind of... Kind of insider's guide to how to make your channel wonderful. Uh, you know, we we help write some of that. So it, it's been good. It, we've made a conscious effort in this part. And, and one of the things we we are really pushing at the moment, as well as kind of this watching brief on policy on hunting, where we can, um, is is commercialising YouTube because you know at the moment it's characterised by lots and lots of people who make their money off the pre-roll ads. You know, the ads that run in front of. You know, people, you, you two, you're probably becoming rich from just that alone, aren't you? Oh, I wish. Yeah. Well, we know how that feels. But um, but the good thing is now you can do things like go to companies and say, would you like to run your pre-roll ad in front of our stuff? Because our stuff is very good and has a very loyal audience. And companies go, yes, we'd love to do that. So you know, we're trying to lead the way in getting not just hunting, shooting and fishing channels, but actually channels of all kinds to um, to do that. I found myself at a, at a conference the other day with some football channels, and I was really pleased because I'm from the West Country, Axminster Tool, one of the best DIY channels out there. They were sitting next to me, and they were taking my advice on how to <laughs> monetize their channel. It was brilliant. You're made. That's it. You've <laughs> achieved. I'm, I might be getting a, fr- a, f- a free lead. No, I won't. No, not a chance. <laughs> Um, in terms of you, the the content that you have on Field Sports Channel, what what is what is what is your aim? Like, what, what is what was your your what was your vision? How has that changed, and what is it looking forward to in terms of the content that you you have on there? That's it, it, that's one of those very difficult questions to answer because I I can remember what I think my aim was, <laughs> uh, and I now know what my aim is, I know what my aim is now. So I think it's fair to say we always wanted to produce a weekly magazine program on online TV. If it all goes wrong and YouTube bans us, we'll hop over to Facebook. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll make a decision. But at the moment, YouTube is where the party is. It's a social TV network of over a billion users, and you just can't do better than that at the moment. So um, we are a functioning part of the YouTube community. Um, it's funny actually watching some of the magazine publishers uh, going for you know, their first YouTube channel because they're natural magazine publishers and they, they naturally think they should be, you know, doing down the competition. Yeah. Whereas on YouTube, the more nice you are to the competition, 
the more chance you get that somebody who's watching the competition will watch your show. Yeah. So, you know, it's up to all of us to pat each other on the back. So I got one publisher, who is well known to both of us, to sit down and say three times in a row, go community. He couldn't do it. He just he just couldn't say go community. Now, it, 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 it couldn't I, form the words. I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a really interesting thing that you're saying because you would think... From the if you're standing from the outside and you don't know anything about how YouTube works, you would think, you know, this is this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do that at the expense of the competition. Yeah, and I need to what, beat them. Yeah, but what you're saying yeah. is, you need to sort of pull together and help each other out. So I know that you you actively promote other channels. I mean, you know, you always uh, show our stuff when when we send it to you on Hunter YouTube, which Hunter we're YouTube, greatly yep. appreciative of, and uh, you know that's that's awesome, and we we give you guys shout outs in the podcast and. Uh, Thank you we, very we, much we, for that. No, that's 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 how it should be. I mean, YouTube is <laughs> it's a bit like that. Do you, you ever watch that film Love Actually with Kieran Knightley? And, can I, can know, I admit that? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, well, I'm 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 going to I'm going to admit that. Okay. You know, here this is hunting showbiz. You can say that. <laughs> so there's a bit where Kieran says, "I'm nice. I'm really nice." Yes. You know, and that's what we've got to be like. I'm afraid. Mm. <laughs> We've got to be like Kira Knightley. What a horrible thought. Uh, I, guess, I guess, I mean, the thinking behind it, and you, I guess you kind of said that, is the more of you that are doing the same thing, uh, you know, people will be attracted. And then, especially on YouTube, the way it works with suggested videos, your video could pop up on the, up on the side, and then now you've found a new channel or, you know, a new, new person. 60% of your views will come from... I'm sure they do come from the suggested videos box on the right. Yeah. And how you get into that box is more of a mystery than how you get into the first page of a Google search. It, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very difficult to do. But yeah, being nice is, is one, of, one of the ways, for sure. Mm. Now, uh, going away from YouTube, but staying with film, we noticed with much delight a couple of weeks ago that uh, Countryfile showed uh, as part of one of their programs, well, it was actually quite heavily focused in that particular yeah. Countryfile, a gamekeeping college and what everybody goes through to become a gamekeeper. And then they ran something else, I think the week after, two, week, two weeks later. There was, I wouldn't say a massive backlash. backlash but it I made it onto the that, news. It made, it made it into yeah. all the newspapers. I mean, wh why do you think it's taken them so, apart from the fact it's the BBC, why do you think it's taken them so long to get to that point? I mean, they've had plenty of opportunities before to do that. And, uh, you know, I congratulate them for finally doing it. But it's been a long time coming. Well, I work for the BBC as well. Um, I still do royals for the BBC, yes. you believe it. Um, and, and I also do things like hunting, shooting and badges, um, as and when they ask. And um, I think you have to understand the nature of the BBC, first of all. Um, and it's going to be reformed over the next couple of years, which is pretty rough. And it is going to be a, a quite a different BBC. In fact, it may even be reduced to just... John Humphreys sitting in a shed shouting at the telephone. Um, <laughs> I like know. John Humphreys, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, the BBC is a very, very special organisation, and I use the word special in both senses of the word, um, because uh, it, is, it is a slave to fairness. Uh, it is also a kind of peculiarly uh, bigoted organisation. There, there is, I would say, nobody, well, yeah, nobody I have met so far in the BBC, and I have worked with hundreds of people there, have loved hunting. Um, I think that is fair to say. I'm sure there are people in the BBC who love hunting, but nobody I have met. And there is probably a very, very tiny number of people in the BBC who actively hate hunting and spend their spare time campaigning against it. So um, I'm not going to say that that produces bias, because when I work with the BBC, they are slavish 
about not being biased. However, it certainly produces tone, and for all the time the country file has been going, um, they have really struggled with the idea of presenting what most of the people in the countryside do. Mm-hmm. And the trouble with the BBC is it's... It's, I think it's fair to say, it's, you know, it's no great secret, it is the best funded media in the UK, if not the world. It is fabulously rich and very, very good at producing beautiful, beautiful things. Mm. And, uh, and if we say that's disgusting, we should get rid of the BBC, just stop and think how much that actually works for us, how, how lovely it is and what a low cost it is for us that they are fabulously rich and are able to do this stuff. But that, that's, that's just a little bit on the side. And so when, uh, when we started, and we thought, well, we're a British channel, probably, and we didn't quite understand that YouTube was global, we, uh, we called ourselves the antidote to Countryfile, mm-hmm. because they were so obviously you know, not going to cover shooting. I think they have woken up, reacted very, very slowly, but got to the fact that most people who are enjoying a national park on a Saturday afternoon are either on a horse or carrying a gun in the winter. Mm. Um, and uh, that you know, most people uh, who uh, manage the countryside have got a hunting or shooting side to them, and particularly that the forests and woodlands you see from your railroad carriage were not put there for your benefit by the railway company. They were there specifically for hunting, for shooting. Mm. Um, and so with that in mind, you know, they've got to represent what, what the world is like, and, and, and that is what they're doing. They're doing it in their own funny way. You know, you will not see gratuitous bird shooting like you do on Phil Sports Channel, but they're coming around to it. Yeah, no, it was, I was really, really pleased to see it. And I know it, it was, you were actually at a meeting not that long ago, Daryl. Yeah, I was. Well, well, basically, it was to do with the reform of the BBC in Aberdeen, and they were asking people from various backgrounds... Uh, obviously, I was there representing field sports and and sacks and uh, yeah and sacks and that and they um you know they were just uh, asking you know what people's thoughts were you know but they seemed very very open to yeah the they, board, they, didn't they they did seem very open to the the idea that that field sports isn't represented fairly uh, I guess the way you said it was is better the tone isn't correct so when they do represent it. It's never quite the correct tone. <laughs> Can I tell you a really funny story? There was a radio drama the other night on BBC Radio 4, and it was, the, uh, it was a, a dramatization of The Once and Future King, the book by T.H. White, which has got the most amazing medieval boar hunting scene in it. It's a scene where young King Arthur, he's called the Wat at that stage, he has to kneel on the ground and put his spear against the knee and the boar impales itself on the shaft of the spear and goes down to the haft, you know, and stops there. And it, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it will make you sit up in bed when you're reading it. It's edge-of-seat stuff. For some reason, that was cut from the uh, BBC script. <laughs> okay. uh, and, uh, and instead of that, um, the uh, um, King Arthur character gave a short three-minute impassioned speech about how awful blood sports are. Um, <laughs> are, you, are you serious? I'm going to have to listen to this. So it was the complete I, I, role I, reversal. I, I am serious, um, but I can see how the BBC would accidentally come to that conclusion because I can see that they would have 
written that wild boar scene and it would have been five minutes it would have been amazing and then they'd have thought well for balance we ought to write in the blood sport anti-blood sports bit just to you know just to get that balance in there so they'd have written that bit in and then they'd have found that the, that the script overran by by five minutes so they think well i've got to cut something that's five yes. minutes i know we'll cut the wild boar scene and then you're just left with a bit they've written to balance it and nobody thinks of taking it out i mean that's that is i mean i'm guessing but that is a classic bbc situation yeah, no, it's, as we, we've said this before, but as is often the case with these things, you know, you take the, the, the country file, that particular country file episode we're talking about, it got picked up in the media and thrown about social media, Facebook and Twitter and all that. But in reality, a relatively small number of people, I think the end, the end result when it was polled was that there was loads more people in favor of what they'd done than there ever was again. But that is the, you don't have people, you very rarely have people praising you. But you, you'll always have people, you know, shouting down all the negative aspects, especially it seems to be the case that, you know, that sect of society that is vehemently against hunting and, and do, you, do you know what I found the most hilarious part of that whole thing? Because I actually read quite a few of the, the comments that the papers had extracted from Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. One of them was, this is absolutely disgusting that the BBC is showing them preparing meat. The BBC has cooking shows. Why is no one complaining about the cooking shows? It's the same thing. Well, it's, uh, again, it sort of comes down to tone. Did you, did you, do you remember, the, I mean, with the, with the chefs, what happened? We had um, uh, Gordon uh, went hunting on his show and, and uh, oh, he cried. He couldn't do it and he, and he cried. I know who he hunted with. I know. Is, the guy is this Gordon Ramsay yeah, you're talking he's, about? He's a friend of Go, mine. Gordon the guy Ramsay. Oh, so, yes. So, yeah. um, so um, uh, Hugh, he went hunting. He mm. cried, but he did do it. He did shoot. Mm-hmm. And then Jamie went hunting wild boar in northern Italy, and, and he didn't cry, but he shot, and, and he got one, which is good. And then, of course, Marco went hunting and was laughing his head off all the way through. So, you know, <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen the BBC kind of, or actually all terrestrial broadcasters, you know, all the ITVs and Channel 4s, we've seen them just go through this, uh, this, this, this process slowly and, and finally arrive at Marco Pierre White. What a horrifying thought. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think... Um the the rise of the likes of Hugh Fernley where he's you know he, he's embraced it from the earth like your you home like, and, farm kind yeah, of yeah I, I think that's done done hunting a lot of good because he did go on like you say I, I think I remember I think the episode he he was shooting a roe deer wasn't he if I remember rightly it was a few yeah, years ago right, yeah I've got, there, were, there were tears but yes he did shoot one yeah so now, I, I think um, that has it's, helped it's it, it, it's interesting that this um um uh, oh, damn what I was going to say, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Uh, it, it happens to the best of us, I'm pleased. Oh, no, that happens to me all the time. You should see the outtakes. Oh, you do see the outtakes, of course. Yeah, you, you, do, you do, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad um, we don't keep our outtakes. I, I was going to say, I think, you know, where you were going on about the, the chefs and that, and obviously they've gone out hunting. I think what yeah. always helps, and especially with Field Sports Channel and other channels, is when you show the whole process... People start understand, not just the kill, yeah, not just the kill, start no, to finish. No. People no. understand a bit better if everything is explained. That's one thing that we criticize. We've criticized it on the podcast before. Is that there, there, there still is a lot of content out there, hunting, hunting driven, which glorifies the death and the, the kill shot. And you know that with all the stuff that we do, that's not what we believe in, and it's not what we no, want to show. It's kind of, it's kind of, um, you know, the the, the state. The state of, of filming, I and mean, we're all going to get better at filming. I think I think a lot of YouTube channels do not have the confidence to stand in front of the camera and say, "This is, you know, what I'm doing today. This is the story of where I am." So you tend to get that sort of, "Hi, it's me. This is this. Bang, it's dead. Hooray!" 
you know, which is not really enough to produce what we call a narrative arc. Yeah, the, well, there you go. Hang on, let me write that down. That's another, <laughs> we're, that's another we're, learning We're thing. taking notes. <laughs> arc has two cues, yes. Uh, I mean, that... That brings me on to something else, which is how the quality of content is changing on the likes of YouTube. I mean, back in the early days of it, basically any content was watched because there wasn't a huge amount yeah. of it there. Now, I mean, I've even seen it, and my, my compliments and hat off to... Uh, um, I, I was going to say yourself and David, but I, I know that um, <laughs> particularly... You mean, you mean David, David? I mean David. You're I mean David. David I mean, I mean, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Some of the stuff that you know he's been producing, and I talked to him about this actually at the British Shooting Show when we had a chance to sit down with them. You know, it, it really is. Some of it is just absolutely beautiful, the, and you can tell it's when the, he's had the you know yeah. bit more time to do it. Like when he went over and he was the filming that ibex hunt with Marco, and I look at that as a standalone piece, and I think you know what that's that is what hunting films should be like. And, well, I have to say, that's when I first met David, he was begging on the street and he said, I haven't been No, that's not true. Um, it's David's background is, uh, is in ITV, strangely enough. Um, and he is uh, a, a producer, of, he's a news producer. And there you have to take a story and get the juice out of it, basically. Now, the hunting narrative is a really great story to tell. So the juice means you can make it five, maybe even ten minutes long. And you only need two or three of those, and you have long-form TV that people will, you know, keep half an hour aside every week to watch. So we're 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 lucky in in those respects. It wouldn't be the same, for example, I think, if it was yachting TV or or ping pong TV or something like that. Um, we we have a we have a absolutely gorgeous narrative, but it is about it is about following that kind of news rigor where you just look at the story from a news point of view, remembering you're probably going to end up as shooting something, if you're lucky, um, and, and tell it that way. Um, and again, I think it sounds formulaic, but if, if some of the channels that are putting together you know, lots of kill shots in a row could just start to think about things like that, we would see even better quality YouTube films than we're seeing at the moment. Hmm. I, think, I think the, ga the game for filming has been raised in the last few years. And I, I think that's, one, actually due to YouTube, because people can learn from other people. Yeah, like like ourselves, very easily. And secondly, the price of top quality camera, camera equipment has dramatically dropped oh, in the last yeah. five years. Well, it's been very galling for the BBC and for ITV to discover that the two most successful formats on television are two things I hadn't even thought of. One was uh, one is gaming TV, you know, walkthroughs, yeah. which gradually yep. became kind of like chat shows. And the other is unboxing videos. Oh. And yep. <laughs> If you take an unboxing, an unboxing proposal to the BBC in about 1998, they would have laughed at you. <laughs> now, talking about gaming, I, I just remembered that the last time I think I actually saw you face-to-face, -face, we, you were in the process of, or you had just filmed, so we're talking oh, quite a while ago now, um, some gamers that you'd got out from away from their console and you took them out hunting with Andy Crow. For they people who haven't great. seen and, that, tell me about and, it. Andy and Andy Crow and Roy Upton um, uh, got together, and, and you know these guys, they they do these fantastic videos about. Well, they're, they're originally they were called walkthroughs, so you're level one of Call of Duty, and how do you get to level two? So you look it up on YouTube, and someone like you know Fear Crads or Twin Sane tells you how to do it, and those are their YouTube handles. So we said to one of the YouTube guys, "Can we get 
a bunch of these guys, and we did it twice in the end. Um, and we got them down, and they shot real rifles at targets and real shotguns at clay pigeons. We even, I think, one of them didn't like the new version of uh, Black Ops, so they we launched that from the clay pigeon trap, and we shot that. <laughs> I remember that. It. <laughs> but um, they 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 absolutely loved what what uh, we did for them. It was really exciting for them to try real guns. They really loved shooting. The great thing about YouTube is they're not kind of hidebound by that, you know. Uh, terrestrial TV sniffiness about stuff. They just say what they feel like. Somebody at YouTube pointed out to me the other day, YouTube people are not stars. You know, they're not like kind of David Barry. They are uh, they are like your brother or your sister. You know, they're, they're here to kind of put an arm around you and say how are things doing. Um, and uh, you know, with, with, with that in mind, they are allowed to be tremendously honest. Yeah. I never really liked the word WhatsApp as a kind of way of starting stuff. But anyway, what's up? <laughs> you, you, you feel it's more personal, I guess, on, on yeah. YouTube. But, I mean, some of uh, Tweety Pie, I think it is. He's, he's the biggest, isn't he? He's one of the biggest is. UK gamers. and well, he Worldwide. Worldwide, well, yeah. And he clears over a million a year. <laughs> oh, no. And the rest. Yeah. <laughs> Playing, I, I missed a trick. <laughs> yes, you, yes. If only you had been born a Swedish guy in the Midwest of America, who's really good looking and girls love. Yeah. Oh well, never mind. Next time, head. But the, you know, the, the thing is that we spent our lives with our parents lying to them. Stop playing those. Stop playing their console. You'll never get a job. <laughs> You'll never get a job. And it was all lies. It was all lies. <laughs> it was. Don't don't run off and join the circus. They were told. Don't run off and join a rock band. There you are. Mm. It is a kind of new rock and roll, except. Well, rock and roll took about 10 years to go from, I don't know, the, the Cordettes to, let's say, um, the Rolling Stones driving a Rolls Royce into a swimming pool. That, that, that process took about 10 years. YouTube did it in about 10 months. And <laughs> <laughs> all the horrifying mistakes were made in a lot shorter time. Now, last, uh, last thing on YouTube before we move on to slightly more seri- serious matters. Go on, then. You're obsessed by YouTube, aren't you? No, no. Well, I mean, that that after all, that is what you do, Charlie. <laughs> it is. No, you're right. You're right. Um, there is so much content on YouTube now. How can people filter it down? You know, if you're looking at it for the first time, it's it, it can be. I you know, I start to look through it, and obviously, there's a lot of stuff that's suggested. But is there going to be a way that it can it becomes more manageable to you, find you mean the like, quality like a, content? Like a tab. Like, well, I don't know. I, don't yeah, know like, or, I suppose YouTube recommended videos, I suppose, is as close as you get right now. That is about the closest. I mean, you can, you can playlist stuff. That helps a bit. You, you, know, you always want to try and help YouTube with the search stuff because that's how people start their evenings entertainment as they walk around YouTube looking, looking for things to look at. I mean, if you can put in uh, transcriptions, gosh, I wouldn't transcribe this talk. That would take you months. <laughs> but you know, if you can put in uh, uh, transcriptions, then it automatically translates into different languages. And, yeah. um, I did not know that. <laughs> it does. Have you, um, have you have you looked up the uh, YouTube complaints department videos on YouTube? No, no. Oh, if if, if you yeah, they're very they're very good. But uh, there's there's one bit where they um, not only automatically translate stuff, but if you don't put in your transcript, of course, they automatically voice recognise it. Um, and uh, there there is the famous. Uh, am I allowed to use rude words on this podcast? Yeah, yeah well, we, we well, can explain it. Yeah. There is the famous fart butter sequence on uh, the YouTube complaints desk. Uh, I, I, I commend that to you because that's, more, that's what people end up saying, especially our lot who have very strong regional accents or are still foreign accents. Um, so <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 yeah, the future is... Um, the future is bright, I think, um, given the technology that's available. But I don't think it's enough just to put up a website and try and categorise it on your website because 
that you know that doesn't really no. No, you know, nobody's going to look at your website compared to the number of people who are going to look YouTube. at you on no, YouTube. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No. So uh, actually, can I can yeah. I just chuck in something there? Go for it. Um, we have this um, as well as everything we do on YouTube. We also have the fabulous Philip in Shanghai, oh, who yes. translates our stuff into Mandarin Chinese and puts it out on the Chinese version of YouTube. YouTube is banned in China, and so there's uh, there's a channel there's a website out there called Youku. Um, which is enormous, and we are strangely enough bigger on Yuku than we are in in Britain. And I'm going to bang the drum a bit here, but uh, we are apparently, according to Chinese newspapers, the second biggest UK-made TV production in China after Downton Abbey. Wow! Which, well, I'm particularly proud actually because I went to a posh school, and my head of school um, was Hugh Bonneville, who plays Lord Grantham. No in, way. Yeah, so here's Hugh, and and he is delivering the kind of fictional version of British life to 1.4 billion Chinese, and and here's me delivering the documentary version of British life. I'm hoping that in about three years' time, loads of rich Chinese tourists are going to come over and ask the British Tourist Authority where they can go for some cheating. (laughs) You never know. You never know. (laughs) I I was going to move on, but I actually am, am interested in how the Chinese channel works and how... How you get it on there and where you... I mean, can I go and see it from here? Can I see it from the yes, UK? Yes, you can. It's i.uq.com slash fieldsports. Okay. And it is... Uh, yeah, I mean, the servers are all in China, so it might be a bit clunky. Um, and you will see, Roy, with Chinese subtitles. The joy about China is they're very happy with subtitles. Okay. The, the trouble with launching German stuff is they want it actually dubbed into German, which is more complicated. Um, but uh, no, we're, we're there. I mean, the really popular stuff... Is um, is mainly about things like cooking. Um, fishing is very popular, but they but they also love you know they love the eagles falconry, um, and, um, and and I think the most telling thing about the Chinese, where guns and hunting are actually banned and have been since 1949. But I went there a few years ago, and they actually it's, there's a lot of hunting and shooting going on. Um, but um, they see what we do. As a, as a luxury activity alongside other luxury activities like you know, being on a yacht or going skiing. And, and I, I know this particularly because um, on, on the YouTube show, on Field Sports Channel's weekly show, Field Sports Britain, we have a, an occasional item called Hello Charlie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people send in these great videos saying, Hello Charlie, today I am, whatever it is, hunting a deer or shooting a jackdaw or something. In China, we have the same thing called Ni Hao Charlie. <laughs> and they Excellent. send in videos going, Ni Hao Charlie, today I am flying a kite or I am... One of them was base jumping. Another one was swimming with dolphins. You know, Amazing. so they are doing what they consider to be luxury activities that are the same as shooting and, and hunting. But to us, they're not. That's amazing. That's so their outlook, yeah. their outlook as what encompasses that as a, a genre of, of activities is way wider than we have here. Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, they, you know, the, the strange thing about. Uh, we get it. We get into a thing here, which which I think is is really going to characterise what what's what will happen next with with world hunting. I mean, it sounds terribly pompous, but we all have slightly different versions of what we like about hunting. And um, for example, there is a group of a group of Americans who will go to Africa in order to decorate their houses, which we find a bit weird by and large in the UK. And similarly in China, you know, the guys I went shooting with there. They wanted to wound birds and animals because it keeps them fresher on the way to the kitchen. Yes. And we find that positively offensive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, being British, I want to do nothing more than save the village from the leopard. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, um, 
a kind of huge pest controller in that respect. Um, and the Chinese and the Americans just do not do not get the point of that. Really. <laughs> so, um, you know, you take those sort of three examples. We have got a lot of work to to, to bring together um, something like a world hunting consensus, so we we can. In a face-off in the media, the, the, the threats of things like Cecil, I'm just going to put in one more thing. So in a couple of weeks' time, I, I have been, against all advice, I've been flying the flag for Malta. Oh, yes. Um, Interesting, yeah. Malta is, you know, uh, as far as hunting is concerned around the world, it's often billed as a bit of an embarrassment. Um, here, they, BirdLife International. BirdLife International show videos of, uh, you know, a group of cranes flying over, goes over and the whole lot suddenly gets shot and you think what was the point of that and and you know there are there are strict laws about what they're supposed to shoot which according to the bird life films they have been completely flouting what happened last year was malta a sovereign state in the european union held a referendum on hunting now maltesers are kind of slightly piratical um and uh, once the bird life international people got the Catholic Church on their side, the way the hunters won, and they only won by about half a percent of the vote, was by getting the local automobile association on their side. And, you know, cars are more important than Catholics in, uh, in Malta. Um, so it, it, but it was a very close-run thing. Now, last year, uh, they allowed the hunt to take place. Um, these quail and, and uh, turtle doves crossed from North Africa, where they are cut to pieces by local hunters. And uh, many millions fly to uh, Europe, where two or three million are shot on continental Europe, and a few thousand who stop off in Malta on the way are shot by Maltese hunters legally at a rate of two or three a day. Now, there were still piratical things going on. Last season was cut short when somebody shot a kestrel, landed in the schoolyard, you know, the resulting image, put him in prison for a year. Yeah. That was a wake-up call for Maltese hunters. So I'm going to go back in a couple of weeks and see how they're getting on. And I truly suspect that they will be behaving immaculately this year because they, are, they, they have been very severely rocked by this whole process and they do not want to put a foot wrong. Um, you could argue that maybe BirdLife have done them a favour, you know, made them start behaving. Mm. I, I, think it's, I think that is an argument. But at the same time, I am very, very happy that the likes of Chris Packham and Bill Oddie, who were leading the charge against Malta as a nation, did not succeed in getting hunting ban there because then they would have gone around saying, we got hunting bans in an EU state. We can do it once, we we'll do, do it again. again. And that would have been very bad for us. I saw Bill Oddy along with uh, MP Simon Monaghan. Yeah, I'm the, to remember his name. Yeah, he was against the League Against, League against Cruel, Cruel Sports, Sports poster. Uh, poster and there was uh, another MP that did it the other day. Oh, oh Mary. Uh, Mary Black. Mary Black. She yeah. did it the other day as well. They got quite. Those MP, are they MSPs, those two? No, MPs? they sit in West. Well, West uh, Mary, well, Mary Black sits in Westminster. Westminster yeah. but I, she's, I don't know if you guys have thought about independence. You want to get rid of those MPs, really. <laughs> Well, I mean, talking about talking about independence, since since you brought it up, um, one thing which has just come literally came through my feed today uh, via the Scottish Association for Country Sports Facebook page, who are the sponsor for this podcast, was that uh, I mean they're keeping very close tabs on uh, what's coming through with the land reform bill. I know you yes. spend a lot of time in Scotland, and you know you've enjoyed hunting and fishing up here, and it, it is now official that. They will be going through with a sporting rate tax, although it 
doesn't seem clear quite at this minute in time exactly what that's going to entail and who's going to be affected, but it certainly seems like it's going to be what a small number number of large landowners and that it won't apply to you know small farms and what have you i mean what what's your take on the land reform bill and how that's going to affect us charlie from south of the border if you like uh it's uh it is terribly difficult for somebody with a strong english accent to comment on uh the <laughs> scottish situation uh but you know that's never stopped me before so um and i'll i'll try um it seems to me that uh scotland is cutting its nose off to spite its face on this one um i completely understand why a central belt politician would not like the idea of great big chunks of the map they're looking at on the wall of their office being colored english um i completely see why they would want to try and stop that in the simplest political way they can which is you know if i was going to be english about this compare them to Robert Mugabe and his land reform activities. Mm -hmm. But let's not do that. There's no point doing that. Oh, I just did. So um, I think the problem is um, these Scottish states are uh, economically viable uh, in a very, very small way. But they're just as economically viable if there's some absentee landlord owning the sporting side or if there's not. I think the good thing the land reform has done is concentrate the minds of English landowners and make them realize that they have got to smart up their acts and do a bit more PR. And and I would say that the successful ones I've visited over the last few years have have definitely been doing that. Uh, So that's good. But um, at what cost? The cost is um, it is really it would be a very silly person to buy a, a sporting estate in Scotland right now. Um, because they uh, have no guarantee that they will own it. You know, the security of tenure is kind of written into British law, but no longer into Scottish law. And there just seems to be a a desire to rid Scotland of non-Scottish landowners, which I I worry about. Um, One piece of interesting news this week, I don't know if you you spotted it, but um, the uh, Kennel Club has just brought a very large grouse shooting pheasant shooting estate. Yeah, I saw as, that. Yeah, I yeah, yeah as, nine million pounds was it, or something like absolutely. that. Absolutely, as yep. cheaply as they could. I mean, seven and a half thousand acres, fantastic place. Not in Scotland, about a mile from the Scottish border. But yeah, not I, I saw in that. Scotland. Um, whereas, you know, a year or two ago, the obvious choice would have been Scotland. Um, how does that have an effect on the locals? You know, the the, the, the movement of enormous amounts of money um, and land being grabbed from under their feet. I think. It, I think it's a bit like, um, in a way, it's the African big game hunting debate. You know, it has more of an effect than we think. You know, it is it is about uh, quality of life improving. It is n- not about locals getting rich because the land that they are renting has been sold from underneath them. But it is uh, about new investment coming in. And um, and just like in, in Africa, you know, somebody comes and shoots a lion. Well, that means not just a new hospital for the local village if it needs one, but a swimming pool for the wildlife manager's house, which means you get a better class of wildlife manager. That's one that's better at swimming. <laughs> so you uh, should have that as yeah, part no. of... You should, you should, uh, I'm sounding like a free marketeer, <laughs> but I think you should have that as, as part of your, your, your land-buying, land-owning process. I, I yeah. think it is a good thing. 
No, I, we're we're going to tackle it at a later date. I probably won't go into it any any further here. But it is it is it is something obviously that needs to be discussed because it is it is ongoing as as we're recording this podcast. Yeah. And the, I mean, from in terms of what we talk about here, the implications to those rural com- communities and to the wildlife that lives in those remote areas is you know is what we want to tackle and how that's going to affect them. So, but we will. Uh, yeah, we're going to have, have some people on at some point we in will. the future and, and talk. In, in the round, it just looks like um, Scottish politicians are, are not understanding the rural community. And I thought the SNP was the rural party originally, but it just seems to have lost touch. I mean, the air gun situation is yeah. dotty. The police are going to have to make, in the six months between July and December this year, possibly hundreds of thousands of home visits if they're going to license all those air guns. I mean, yeah. that's not sensible. Yeah, we're, we're going to, that's actually another thing that's coming up fairly soon, certainly in the next uh, six weeks or so, yeah. we're going to be recording something on that and giving people all the information they need. And if they need to know any information, uh, SAC's Facebook page actually is a good place to, a good place to start because they have yep. all the up-to-date. I, I hear they're, they're actually, I read somewhere that the, the police are actually already saying you can hand in your air guns that you don't want. They, they are having an amnesty. Yeah. Um, it would be far cheaper for them to get everybody in Scotland to hand in their air guns. But, you know, Air gunners don't hand in their air guns no, no. easily. I, I suspect most of them will go for the licensing, and that's going to put a huge amount of pressure on the police, and that's going to mean you know, crimes unsolved. Mm. Now, from that to uh, an, a British, if not English thing, the CLA Game Fair, which now is no longer in existence because last year was the last year it ran, for those people who are into field sports who like get going to game fairs, what on earth is happening this year, Charlie? Because uh, there is so many hats up in the air right uh, now. And I know you covered it quite extensively on, on field yeah, you sports. Yeah, Punch and Judy show at one point, <laughs> if I remember. I had the joy of going to commission a Punch and Judy man to read out my script. Oh, there are some real perks in this job, and that, and that for me, that was one of them. So you actually got professional to do yes. this? <laughs> yes, he's, he's, he's retired, but uh, he still has all the kit. Oh, brilliant. Um, and uh, he's up in Western Supermare, not very far away from me in Somerset. And uh, oh, he, uh, if I could use him again, I was so disappointed when, when Countryman Fairs pulled out, you know, and they, they were going to have one of, one of the many game fairs that were taking place on the same weekend. As, mm. uh, I mean, that would have been great, but no. No, um, it looks like a terrible car crash, doesn't it? I don't think we can judge at the moment. Um, they're all picking up speed, you know, they're all putting out press releases saying how marvellous they are, and that's terrific. Um, they're all advertising with us, so my official advice is go to all of them, definitely. Um, but uh, but I, I think the Moy Game Fair might be more of a um, an example of, 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 you know, the future of shows and the Scoon Game Fair too. I love the Scoon the, Game Fair. Well, that's, that's on our doorstep, so that's the one well, we've exactly. gone to for, yes, for so, years. You know, <laughs> so head, head north. Um, and, and actually, you know, Countryman Fairs has just come out with a um, uh, with, with an announcement today. They, they are doing a kind of gun road show. Okay. Um, and if that works, you know, if, that, if that's a way of showing off new guns, which people like to see, you know, we established in the 1980s, retail is news. Therefore, if Countryman Fairs idea works that then you don't need a, a huge game fair i talked to uh the timing clocks you know who are doing cornbury course, in yeah. june um down in oxfordshire and they um are not planning to put on a major massive 150,000 strong game fair okay. the other two i think would like it if they could achieve that they haven't ruled it out yet but you know you've got the one at stoneleigh 
um, middle of July, um, which, if it goes well, will be like the Sierra Game Fair, and if it doesn't, then it'll be a summer British shooting show, which is not bad. Yeah. And then you have Radley Hall, which is probably ahead, I know, definitely ahead on stand sales, and they have uh, they came a bit late to the party with uh, with getting the gun trade in, but they seem to have got most of the gun trade in now. So Remind me who's organising the Radley Hall one, Charlie? That's the that's the team who organised the last CLA. Oh Game yes, Fair. the previous CLA, yeah. But um, but with some essential changes, so. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't sound quite as bad as, as uh, I make it sound. <laughs> well, no, I'm just uh, I'm just thinking that you know that if the CLA kind of failed because it couldn't make any money after however many years it ran, then if the, the same team are same involved, team, how, yeah. does, how does that work? Yeah, but, you know, I went to uh, Glastonbury, which is in, in 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 Somerset, and and I should say it's pronounced Glastonbury if you live in Somerset. <laughs> All right, don't don't be don't be modern and the BBC and call it Glastonbury because it's not called Glastonbury. I went to Glastonbury, and, and in order to leave Glastonbury, uh, you have to face the fact that uh, the people organising the uh, traffic management are hippies, and they are amazing. You are out of Glastonbury in minutes, and you are onto the main roads, and you are away. Now, try and leave the game fair at uh, Russia. It's organised by um, former army officers wearing red trousers and tweed jackets, and they are completely hopeless. And I think... <laughs> Probably that was what characterised the problems of the CLA Game Fair. Okay. It was too many RC men in Panama hats and golf buggies directing and not actually helping. I have to say, it upset me a little bit last year at Schoon Palace. The four quid parking charge that just appeared out of nowhere. I mean, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm they, sure they I'm do sh- that. They, they go, how are we going to make some money? I know, let's rinse the visitors. It, we were already there, we had no choice. Yeah, I know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, we will, in fact, I, I'm going to make it my mission in the next few weeks and ask them why, because uh, we've been going for how many years now? Oh, I don't know, decade, eight, uh, yeah, almost a decade, and we've never had to pay. Then one year, rock up, four quid, and then you, obviously you've still got your 50 no, I think it's, you know, I didn't mind too much paying it, but I just wanted to know that yeah. I was going to be, I was going to be shanked as soon as I parked my <laughs> well, car. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly it, you know, it's just like when you get to the front of the queue at Costa Coffee and they charge you £7.50 for a hot cup of hot chocolate and a biscuit, you go, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have spent £7.50 worth of my time queuing. Well, you, you went, you went to Costa, I mean, you should, you should know that in the first place. <laughs> I don't you're think we're ever going to have them as a sponsor, so it's not a problem. I'm saying that. you're acting the real Charlie here, aren't you? you know, the one, the one who likes to hire Punch and Judy Man and drinks lattes. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but they, uh, you know, they, they what they do is they look at the accounts and they go, right, how are we going to make some more money? I know what we'll take it off the visitors, or they say we'll take it off the standholders. Or you know, they should look at it a little bit more creatively. And uh, there's a huge amount of sponsorship opportunities to be yeah, had at game fairs, which I don't think the old CLA game fair was looking at at all well. You know, Land Rover would sell up to, well, not far short of a hundred Land Rovers at every game fair, and they was they they just bought a little stand. They should be in for some major sponsorship, I would have said, for that kind of thing. Yeah, um, you would have thought. I mean, I didn't I didn't know that number. That's should quite should we try and get a sponsor for our car park space? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, what about that lady from Stagecoach who lives at Bewley? How about her? <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Oh, yeah, well, I guess we're just going to have to see what happens. Uh, you know, when we get to this, we're going to go to the ones we can go to, the ones we can make, depending on our, our filming schedule and what have you. And, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I, I enjoy going to the game fairs and seeing everybody. The British Shooting Show, which I noticed that you were absent at. Uh, uh, that, I, that, was at I was at Dortmund Jagd and Hunt that weekend. Now, was a 
major class, you know. <laughs> no, I, well, I tell you what, uh, let's just talk about that for a second because uh, a friend of mine, Nick Latus, he was at that show. I don't know, you might have bumped into him. Actually. I know Nick, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, was, he was there somewhere with Tommy, the great Tommy Hines from Ireland. Ah, my lord. And uh, he was saying how different the German shows are compared to our shows here. But you obviously have good experience of both. Just for those people who haven't been, is it an experience worth the trip over the water? It's definitely worth doing once to work out whether you'd like it. I mean, for one thing, you know, they, they talk about different stuff over there. I mean, we are all um, basically addicted to fat pheasants, and they are all completely besotted by wild boar. Mm. So, uh, so you have to accept that. I did actually hook up with a party of Brits who were, uh, was over there, staying with a, this absolutely charming uh, German stalking agent friend of mine, Michael Zommer, and, and he had some Brits over. And, um, of course, the first thing they did was make a beeline for the Rigby stand and, uh, and talk about buying rifles, which I thought was strangely pointless, coming all the way to Germany to talk to an English rifle maker. Um, but uh, they, uh, I, I, I like it. It's clean, it's efficient, it's functional, it's in a tin shed, like the British shooting show, but it's less kind of ramshackle. I'm in terrible trouble for saying that, but it, it sort of it looks less ramshackle. But I think there's one thing that all of these game fairs could do, and and the British shooting show as well, which is you know is not a game fair; it's it's a gun show, and that is they could um, and they and they nearly did with the Seattle game fair make a bid to become a really important stop off point for world shooting manufacturers. Yeah. The Seattle game fair happens at a good time because most of um, the guns we use are made in continental Europe, where they love shooting row, and the row rust is on at about the same time as the Seattle game fair. So both Stoneley and Raggy will probably have a smattering of Germans from the original manufacturers who are also keen to do some buck hunting while they're over here. Um, I think that's uh, to go for. If it wasn't for that, my favourite game fair of the entire season actually remains an agricultural show. It's uh, next to my mum's house on Dartmoor in Devon. It's the Chagford show. Okay. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> it's, um, it, it doesn't have many stands. It, it hardly has any, um, any engines or any... Um, uh, generators. So you know, it has it has what passes for a big wheel, especially by Devon standards. Um, but it, as far as I can tell, it, it, it's hand operated. It's it's just a, a a lovely, lovely fair that includes a lot of carriage driving and and horse hound displays and horses and terrier racing and lurches. Um, and sadly, no guns, but maybe that will change. Um, and a, and a lot of local businesses. Uh, I mean, I, I like those those. Lo- I mean, we have one here. We've got the yeah, Angus yeah, Angus show and. There's one yeah. over in Glam's as well, and yeah, it, it, you've got a nice and the Fest Cairn one as well, and a nice sort of community feel about those. And you're always I'm not, I'm not too good on the really big agricultural shows. You know, I went to the Great Yorkshire Show last year, which which is which was nice, but it was it's kind of slightly alien. It's all about people rushing around making sure they've got the biggest sheep, um, and uh, that's that's not quite my thing. But the Chagford Show is is just the right size for me. Hmm. Now we're going to wrap up fairly soon, but I wanted to ask you about. Where you, what you think the shooting community in, in this country need to do, you know, l- looking forward now. I mean, we, we do feel like we're kind of constantly under attack and fighting it from every angle, and we've kind of touched on that today. But, you know, there is a, an attitude and action that we need to take going forward, and now more than ever, what do you see as the, the kind of next steps? Because you're kind of in touch with it. You, you know, you speak to a lot of people within the industry. What's the kind of feeling there, and what do you think? Well, actually, David Wright, my my colleague, founding colleague of Fieldsports Channel, uh, I, th- I think uh, he was the most marvellous breath of fresh air when uh, he arrived for shooting. You know, quite a lot of us 
you know, you and me, Byron, we've we've been writing about shooting for a long time. We yeah. we had to, to an extent got into a bit of a rut. You know, we we considered shooting to be a a very insular activity, um, and that it was very difficult to get people involved in it. And David turned up, and he just used the three words, loud and proud. Yeah. Um, and that is what we need to be. I would add to that, I would say we have got the most fabulous story to tell. You know, hunting is the story that we want to hear. Uh, it's, the, it's the story that kept us going throughout the Neolithic period <laughs> mm. when we didn't have EastEnders. And, and for me, it, it's a five-word motto, actually. Um, uh, it's all about audience. Yeah, and, and being able to interact with them and, and try and tell them the truth. Yes, it's 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 a social audience now. I think we 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 can we can leave behind um, the uh, the days of TV. Oh, just one thing on the days of TV yeah. though. Did you see the Crafts story about yeah. the German yeah. Shepherd? Yeah, yeah. I did. I, I, Have I, you looked into that, Charlie? <laughs> well, to the extent that the uh, Kennel Club joined the kind of social media slagging off the woman who owned it, and the yeah. poor woman, you know, whatever was wrong with that dog, it was the proudest day of her life, yeah. winning best of breed at Crafts. And she stood up afterwards and said, but I've won all these prizes before and nobody's ever said anything. It's so unfair. And she was being condemned by Claire Balding and condemned yeah. by that Irish vet and condemned by, yeah. by the Kennel Club itself. Um, I mean, that was a good example of traditional TV trying to do what social media does. Yeah. Uh, and, and I wasn't very comfortable with that, actually. Whatever the rights and wrongs of the case were, and I must say, you look at that dog walking around the ring and you think, mm, that's not right, it really isn't. Yeah. But there could be a very good reason for it. Um, I don't know what it is. I just didn't like the way that terrestrial TV, which is not social, you know, is a top-down medium, uh, is uh, suddenly joining in with this chorus of disapproval and when you are the, the, the you know the the heat in the heat of a social media storm, it feels more awful than if you are in the heat of a Sunday Times story. You know, yeah. I I have done both. Um, I mean, on Fieldsports Channel, we get about two dozen death threats every month. Really? Um, that's yeah. Don't worry, they don't carry them out. It's fine. <laughs> um, but, You're still here, certainly. Yeah. No. yeah if you, if the if the line <laughs> goes dead, <laughs> we, we we have we have covered this uh, a few times on podcasts about. Uh, social media and the way people behave, and uh, and, and wouldn't behave like I wouldn't behave uh, that to your face, and evidently people are sending you death threats, which is no. Uh, I, I rang I rang up um, um, a couple of them for a, which is a lovely film. It was a joy to make, and I said, "Hi, it's Charlie. You you want to kill me? Do you? And he went, well, <laughs> what did they leave you a number? What? Uh, oh, it's quite easy on social media. You know, you just a little bit of googling, and we get so many that you know out of out of a few months' worth, you can definitely track down a few. Oh, brilliant. Um, I mean, some of them use their company email address. <laughs> well, what I find fascinating is, this is just from reading stories, is some of them are people you would not expect, people of, of some kind of position. Yeah, yeah, in banks well, we, or whatever. We saw this recently with the, uh, you know, the, the poor lady who died uh, out hunting with the Fitzwilliam, and, uh, oh, and the aunties came on and said, yeah, yeah good riddance. And, yeah. and some of those were teachers. There was a... There was a was it a brownie leader or a Cub yeah. Scout leader amongst them? An extraordinary mixture of people, uh, and uh, and that's a very good Facebook page that set about getting them all sacked. I was um, really I pleased think, with the work they'd done, and you know, again, I commend was, them for the work they mark. did. I, I gave that story to the Sunday Times, and uh, and they they ran it very well, and you know, put, put a kind of a line in the sand there and said, 
please do not do this kind of stuff. Mm. But that said, you know, death threats are very easy to make. When you are looking at your phone and watching TV on it or looking at your computer, you have a very personal relationship and, and you feel, you know, you are God of your own future. You can, you can say whatever you like. And actually, I, I react more strongly to those politicians who go, oh, I had some death threats. Oh, it's terrible. I'm going to be killed. Just get over it. Mm. People are like that. You know, it, it, the first time you're at the, the center of a social media storm, it feels really horrible. But actually, it's not. Mm. And, uh, and, if you can, and if you can cope with that, the next time, you won't feel it at all. And Just, as far as politicians are concerned who should know these things, I, I feel no sympathy at all when somebody is mean to them online. I guess you could just turn off your phone and disappear in the hills for a few weeks. That's one option. <laughs> yes, I mean, the really tricky thing is what to do if the only Google search result for Daryl Pace is, you know, he is a an animal killer. Look at what happened to, you know, Charlie Green. At oh, I know. Green. We're going to yeah. get him on, actually, at some point oh, soon. Oh, good, yeah, because yeah. he, he had a really, that really That was terrible, time. terrible what happened to but him. That, and that was a combination of social media and the Daily Mirror. Mm. Um, and, you know, and my advice to him was... Um, you have to um, think of it as tomorrow's fish and chip wrapper, which, you know, technically it's, <laughs> it's digital, but it is mm. more or less. And also, uh, you have to, the only thing you can do in that situation is, is swamp them with, with good stories. You know, uh, if, if you're worried about how this is affecting your life, if it always says Charlie is, you know, a really horrible guy, then just make sure that that's off the front page of Google and, yeah. and your, your life will improve. We'll move on. I mean, what I, I don't get that many, but on the odd occasion that I do, my, my new policy is to screenshot the message that's sent to me and then put it all over social media and tell everybody to say hello to the person. That, that it, works very... That, exactly. That, well, that, that is we, we know that the guy, the last guy I did that to, he yes. was so upset that everybody... And act, to be fair to the people who commented... No one was abusive back to him, no, but they, yeah, no, you know, they, they, they expressed their distaste in, in what yep. he had said to me, and I think it was something about you, Daryl. Yeah, uh, called he, us murderers and yeah, stuff but like he, that. He actually he knew a mutual friend of mine, and he asked this mutual friend if I could take that down because he felt <laughs> so, so terrible about what he had done and uh, so on and so forth. So I said to my friend, I said, you, you know what, because you've asked me, he said, I wouldn't normally ask you to do this. I said, look, because you've asked me, I'm going to take it down, but yep. make it very clear to him that I'm not taking it down for him. I'm taking it down for you. This and, is how social media works. That is a really good, mm. really good parable of, of, of exactly how it should be. And he said an apology. Just yeah, putting out no, there, I mean, he apologized. Yeah, he did. And I, I did let everybody know that he'd apologized afterwards. So, you know, that, that all, credit, all, credit to him all. for apologizing. There are there are um, there are rules which um, I mean this is something which again I think people struggle with is uh, there is a very old-fashioned set of laws in the UK uh, to do with bullying which is now cyberbullying and copyright which is now a mashup in YouTube terms and a lot of these things are covered by UK law but actually uh, it's it's more about the individual social media you're using and there are very good rules on Facebook and YouTube for looking after these things if you find yourself at the wrong end of something on one of those, and you want to react, don't call the police. Don't don't call a lawyer. Just go into the into the Facebook or the YouTube or the Weibo or Renren or whatever social media it is. Go into its system, and and you can usually sort it out. If you can't sort it out, like you did, basically face to face or through a third party. 
Yeah. Oh, well, that's good to know for those people. No, no I mean, the, the people who in this in the hunting industry who seem to take the most abuse are actually, well, seem to be the female hunters. And I was another thing, because I, I know that you have uh, Michaela comes on yours. We, 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 had, on we were speaking to Michaela last week. But, but she did, didn't she? Yes, exactly. The, the fabulous Michaela. I, I, I mean, we try, you know, the, I'm, I'm, I'm falling over my words now. No. What we try to do is, first of all, say it does not matter to us whether you are a girl or a boy or old or young or able-bodied or disabled or, you know, you've got five arms growing out of your ears. You, if you enjoy hunting and shooting, then we love you. We think you're great. Um, unquestionably, Michaela, for some people, not all of us, is uh, attractive and fun to watch. Uh, <laughs> she has got a terrific turn of phrase. I mean, I love that. Yeah. You know, when, when we had um, the Cecil thing kicked up, she had just sent us Baiting a Hyena, a fabulous film where she, she goes out of the bush, she shows how it happens, she, she informed the debate. She looked for a, for a vulture in the sky and she saw it and she went to where it was and she found a rotten old impala and she put her hands into its guts and spread them out all over the ground and then dragged it to provide bait for the hyena. And she looks at the camera while she's retching at one point and says, I tell you, Africa is not for pussies. <laughs> yes. we, we had to put we, a double explicit on hers. So, not only did we have to put an explicit, <laughs> we we, to beep her we, we've never had to beep someone before. <laughs> yeah, there, there's lines that even we have to draw and we couldn't, <laughs> yeah. we couldn't broadcast. <laughs> we, she said. Well, she's, you know, she's, she's a good girl. Um, no, she's great. It's, it's, she's a, she shoots lions. Um, that's that's a, a tough one for some people. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it comes back to we we are trying to find or we are slowly growing organically um, a sort of a consensus about world hunting and things we like and things we don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, ten years ago, all we had was a Safari Club International's fair chase statement, which was you know do not shoot at animals if they've been locked in a cage or tied up. Um, now we are getting a much clear picture about what we the world likes and we the world don't like and it means things like Cecil even going back to you know problems we in the UK face like the National Trust banning stag hunting on its land and I am a huge supporter of stag hunting you know it has nothing to do with dogs ripping stags to pieces it is all about managing a very very widespread herd of animals across uh, across Exmoor which needs you know a single point to to manage it from Um, and 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 if we had known what we know now, we would never, never have allowed the National Trust, through the media, never have allowed them to ban stag hunting, whatever their barking mad scientists have come up with. Yeah. That, that's, that's the danger is that, you know, one thing gets banned and it rolls onto another. Often, often the reason for banning whatever it is in question is on very, very weak, weak foundations. We, we did an interview, I think... We were speaking to Jens, uh, who, who you know yeah. from, from Jens Denmark, Hope, yeah. Yeah. and uh, he was talking about the, the foundations that they banned the use lead. of lead ammunition in Denmark. Yes. And he was saying that, you know, okay, today, you know, everybody's happy to be using steel and, you know, they're getting on fine with it. However, the basis that they banned it on in the first place was very, very weak. And it should have never really have gone through because we were asking him about our situation here. And it's now, you know, the, the government has turned around now here and said that we don't think that there is a basis, uh, you know, to ban any um, the ammunition on lead, which is great. But, you know, at that point when we interviewed him, it was still uncertain. OK, I'll tell you how the process works with the antis, particularly, and they're pretty good at this. Um, they will come up with a thing, let's say something like the Exmoor Emperor. And what they're looking for when they float that story 
in local newspapers or even the national newspapers, they're looking for someone on the on the on our side to be on the back foot, or someone who should be on our side to be on the back foot. I'll give you a very good example of this. We had a um, we, we we started this whole series of Britain's biggest fox stories. Yeah, I remember. We had a vet, lovely guy, and uh, he shot um, what was then we called Britain's biggest fox. Um, I think it was thirty-two pounds, and it was enormous. This thing, it had you know killed his parents' cat, and uh, it was um, it was you know he was a vet, so fantastic. The Sun newspaper ran a story saying marksman kills cat-killing fox. I mean, when was the, the last time you remember a fox shooter being called a marksman? It's you know, normally a sniper they go with. Fox murderers, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so what happened next was the antis took that story and they put out a press release saying, you know, we we hate evil fox murder. And it got picked up by a couple of people and somebody, somebody made a call to the head vet group, whatever they're called in London, the Association of... Royal College yeah. for Vets. Royal, yeah. the, that's right, the Royal College of Pussy-Footing, Jaundice, Mealy-Mouthed, Moaning Vets <laughs> is what they called. And they said, what do you think about fox shooting? And the answer they got at the end of the line was, uh... And the moment they said, uh, the antis went, we got him. And that's the, the line that the antis pursued. And you see it over and over again. The Exmoor Emperor mm. was just a reasonably big stag that someone in Johnny Kingdom, someone in this guy in... Um, in North Somerset said was good enough to be called the Exmoor Emperor and nobody stood up and said it's not a very good stag yeah, and no, so they that didn't. story ran around yeah. Cecil you know the only thing Walter Palmer did wrong and it was a pretty stupid thing to do was to try and hide the evidence of that collar yeah. bury the radio collar everything else was completely above board completely legal mm-hmm. and this, this idea that you know Cecil was this lion which tourists would go to them, but nobody ever heard of no, Cecil no it was before. all rubbish and it you know it comes out in the wash bodies. in the end exactly <laughs> yeah so, the, the truth comes uh, out we just we just have to be very, very alive to this. If somebody says something to you about any story that has been covered in, you know, that's on the agenda, on the news agenda, don't say, uh. Mm. You know, I, I, one thing that is helping that is that we are slowly getting across the world uh, really good ambassadors for hunting that we didn't have. You know, we've, we've had some ambassadors for hunting in, in, the, uh, in the UK in the past, which, and I don't think that they've really expressed everything the way the way that it could have been done but you know we have the likes of you know Eva Shockey uh, who I, I absolutely know that you'll know who I'm talking about along with I probably everybody else well, yeah. no she you know she comes across in a, in a very innocent way but is she's a very smart girl or woman yeah. sorry and she can articulate things in the right way her father who's an absolute legend again if you listen to him speak you think wow you know here's a Jim, guy Jim who can articulate such a natural speaker yeah that that's the kind of but i would say about those guys they are also very much kind of industry side of things now um normally you think wouldn't it be great you know if someone like tom cruise suddenly stood up and said i love hunting and you know you get the occasional hollywood actor who does but the strange thing we find on YouTube is that stars don't actually work that well. No. It's more about honesty than stardom. Mm. And so what you want is ordinary people standing up and say, this is great. Um, I, I do have a very strong view about where the debate has to go next in, in the UK. And, and that is, I think we have to express just how much fun it is going out with a gun or a gun and a dog. And I think we have to do that in three parts which is quite tricky on the media because you're, ex- you're expected to do everything you know, in one soundbite. We have to get across the idea that 
going out with a gun, you know, let's say you're walking around looking for pheasants, is like watching the television with all the sound and the colour and everything turned up. I mean, it is, you, you turn up your view of the world when you have a gun in your hand. It is, it, it is a far better way to see the world. That's the first thing we need to get across, and that's quite tricky because people won't like that. The second thing is even trickier, and that is when you point a gun at an animal or a bird and pull the trigger, there is that feeling of 99% elation and 1% horror. Yeah. And I had a soldier friend of mine compare that. He said, to shooting a man, he said, that's 99% horror, but it is 1% elation. Yeah. And, and I think maybe you could even say, you know, over your lifetime, if you, you know, people we know who've gone off shooting, it's just because the horror elation thing has, has changed. But because of that elation, it has got to be something which people must try. And you can underwrite that bit with the arguments about conservation and, you know, the fact that because we've got grouse and pheasants, there are lots of other birds there too. And then the third thing, which is really easy, is you say, and it's delicious, this yeah, thing that you're yeah. eating. And I, I think with those, that one, two, three, that everybody needs to everybody needs to know and going forward, clearly everybody needs to try. I think that's a perfect way to wrap this up, Charlie. And, uh, <laughs> and are you a rugby follower? I'm I'm a I'm a rugby light follower. Yeah, exactly. I I can I I, I struggle rugby. with the names of, of 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 the players, but I get the names of the teams. What am I missing? So you well, it's the the final weekend of the Six Nations, and are England going to get the Grand Slam? I guess is the the question. The question. Uh, It'll it, be it, answered by the time this podcast. Yeah, but comes will out. be answered by the time this comes <laughs> we'll, out. We'll, we will know, will we? Well, to me, you know, it all comes down to the singing bowlers and and how good they are. Absolute silence greeted that. <laughs> you've, you've lost me there, Charlie. I don't know if I misheard you. Or... Yeah, no. It's gone it's over gone. my head. Oh, right. Cricketing analogy. No, don't worry. No, sorry. <laughs> that cricket is one sport that I have, uh, haven't uh, partaken in. And before I get any abuse for uh, not, uh, not enjoying the wonders. <laughs> on, that note, <laughs> on that note. But thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Charlie. And uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing because we love it as well. Cheers. Thank Bye you. Now. Well, Byron, that was a pretty good, a pretty good show. I enjoyed having Charlie on. It was great speaking to him. He's always a good laugh, is Charlie. Now, it's tell your friend or a friend about the podcast month next month. I've just made this up, but but it de- it's a thing. It's a thing. So tell someone that doesn't know about this show about it. And even better still, grab their yeah, phone grab, while grab, they're with it, grab their phone. And then start downloading it. And then it. download it. And then make sure, ask them a week later and that they've actually listened to some of it. That, that is your, your mission. Spread the word. Spread the word about the podcast. Hunters, non-hunters, we need as many people Especially involved. Especially non-hunters. Byron actually got a message the other day. I did, actually. Yeah. You can explain it because you got but, the message. Yeah, it was um, a guy who I worked with very briefly, but quite a while ago. Um, not a hunter, really cool guy, actually. Uh, big into surfing and sort of extreme sports. And totally out of the blue, he messaged me and said, oh, hi, Byron, how are you doing? The usual kind of chit-chat. What's the weather like outside? Um, I saw what, that you guys were doing a podcast. I'm not a hunter, don't really do much in the countryside, but I started to listen and I couldn't stop. And I've now listened to the entire back catalog. I was like, oh, that's so cool. There's somebody who's, you know, is not in that world that, you know, we're involved in. And we deliberately try and make the podcast so that it can be all-inclusive and people who are not not hunters and 100% you know, focused on the countryside can still gain something from it. And that was a perfect example of someone who did. Yep. So tell a friend about the podcast. That's the, the gist of it. 
No, Byron, you were going to tell us something? Yeah, I was, and I just want to make sure that I get it right. I was going to tell you that our sponsor, the Scottish Association for Country Sports, are going to be at the... Northern Shooting, Northern shooting Show. Show. Yeah, yeah, Northern I want to make sure I got the title right. I wouldn't mind going myself, actually. If we are available, I guess we could. It's six weeks away. Six weeks away. We'll definitely be at the, the Schoon Game Fair in Perth, and we're going to try and get to as many as we can this year. Yeah. But our year is slowly filling up. And well done to Michaela for the last podcast because she has now beaten the boys for uh, the most downloaded. Downloaded oh, has she? Yeah, she has. Did she, Josh? If you're li- if you're listening to this, she beat you. Yeah, she did for the the fastest downloaded, and she's also been yeah. So she's beaten the boys now, which is uh, girl power. That's all. I, that's all I'm saying. Girl power and hunting. Yeah, girl power and hunting. And remarkably, a huge amount of our listeners are listening on SoundCloud. So hello again to the SoundCloud listeners. Yeah. But thank you very much for listening. Listen again in two weeks' time. And if you subscribe, you get it a day early. So subscribe. Thanks very much. Thank you.